Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Sam? Yeah. You have to talk to that man over there alone at your table. What? Well, he came in here because he just found out he's got six months to live. Oh, come on. You sure that's not just an opening line? Sam, what kind of a reptile would say something like that as a sexual overture? <laughs> oh, but. I mean, not me, that's for sure. Well, he seems to want to talk about it. Well, uh, I'll talk to him. How do you cheer someone up who's got six months to live? I'll tell him I have five. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me once again to discuss the 12th episode of Season 2, one of the hosts of Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, a podcast dedicated to Marvel's Power Pack and a show that, quite frankly, packs a lot of power. Please welcome Rick Heineken back to the show. How are you, Rick? I am doing fantastic, especially after such a glorious, glorious introduction such as that. Powerful. Very powerful. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for coming back, and... um, First things first, uh, listeners, I need to clarify something for you guys. If you have been watching the show along with this podcast, first of all, bless you. Second, if you've been watching either the DVDs or you've been following on Netflix or iTunes, some other streaming app, then you probably saw that the 12th episode of this season is called Snow Job. But that is not the episode that Rick and I are going to cover the newer media releases have a different order for some of the Season 2 episodes. The order that I am following is the official broadcast release order that you can find at tv.com and imdb.com. The reason for the discrepancy, I think, is that the DVDs and all the digital and streaming releases that came after that, I think those might be based on the production order. I'm not sure about this, and maybe one of our listeners knows the answer. Maybe Ken Levine has blogged about it. But I think there were episodes in this season that were written and filmed, and then NBC shuffled the order of what episodes came out when. As we go forward this season, I will make a note of any episodes that seem to be out of order, or if the kind of relationship status for certain characters is a little bit questionable because of these changes. Anyway, all of that is preamble to say that Rick and I are covering the episode Where There's a Will. This episode is written by Nick Arnold. It is directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was December 22nd, 1983. 
A customer named Malcolm Kramer tells Diane that he only has six months to live. She reports this news to Sam, imploring him to help pick up the man's spirits. When he learns that Malcolm worked his way through Harvard Business School tending bar, Sam invites him to relive the good times by tending bar at Cheers. Everyone at the bar has a great time, none more so than Malcolm. After he leaves, the gang finds a letter from Malcolm amending his will to bequeath a $100,000 unto the people at Cheers when he dies. The gang, who had rallied behind a dying man in the spirit of compassion and goodness, immediately shift gears when such a hefty sum of money is on the line, and they fight over how the money should be divided. When the document proves to be legally invalid, they send Coach to go find Malcolm and bring him back to the bar. Carla, Norm, and all of the regulars take turns pleading with Malcolm to give them a bigger share of the money, while Diane encourages him to donate his wealth to charity. Malcolm signs all of his money over to Sam, telling him to decide who gets what. When the gang descends on Sam with the same level of greed, he appears to burn the documents that nobody gets anything. Back in the office, however, he reveals to Diane that he kept the real will and plans to keep all of the money for himself, minus what he's willing to spend on Diane to secure her silence, of course. Disgusted by how the money has corrupted Sam and herself in such a short amount of time, Diane guilts Sam into destroying the real will, too. So, that was the episode Where There's a Will. Rick, big picture, what were your thoughts on this one? Well, not as much comedy, more of a bit of an introspection into the people of the bar. But before I begin too far... I would like to say, unlike last time, where I showed up having already drank a bunch of beer, <laughs> this time I have shown up with the beer, and oh. it's tuned to this episode. And I, if you don't mind, I'd like to do a little bit of a plug. That's Absolutely, okay. by all means. All right. I have brought a beer from Silver Moon Brewing Company, and it's called F Star Cancer <laughs> IPA. So it's big F, a red star, and then cancer. I think you can figure out what it says. Absolutely. Um, this is a very special beer, actually. It's um, from the webpage. Five years ago, we started making F Cancer IPA and donating proceeds to the American Cancer Society. We brew this beer once a year for this special summer program. In 2018, they raised $50,000 selling this beer wow. with their proceeds. So I, I think it's very, very good cause. Now, we don't know, of course, what Malcolm is dying for because they never explicitly say it. He's got six months to live. But let's just go ahead and say it's cancer. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good sort of In the spirit on. of that and in the spirit of a good cause, F cancer. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice topical appropriate drink for the occasion. Thank you for bringing that. F cancer indeed. <laughs> okay, so then back to the question. What did you think of this one? Yeah. I, I like I like I was saying it's it doesn't have a lot of jokes especially up front when we you know first find out that you know Malcolm's in the bar and he's gonna die in six months and there's no laughter mm -hmm. it's it's there's no punchline there's no joke they keep trying to go for it Diane tries to make a joke it doesn't work uh, Sam comes over and and starts asking him questions and he does get off one joke to make Malcolm smile and they do give Malcolm a really good time in the bar it's like during the middle part. There's some really good comedy there. There's some really good enjoyment as everybody's having a fun time with this guy. But then at the end, we have nothing but just greed and the worst parts of these barflies. It is a bit of a switch from what we've really expected from Cheers up until this point. 
but I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it, I, I think it brings just another side to the bar, and yet at the same time, seeing how the bar kind of moves together. Mm. It's something that Malcolm really pointed out when he first got there. He looked over, he sees everybody laughing at the bar, and he's really enjoying that. I mean, he did leave the money to these people. They just got greedy at the end. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those episodes where there's an episode in season one called The Boys in the Bar that deals with the subject of homophobia. Mm-hmm. And I, I was nervous when I revisited that one because I, I would like anytime you're giving me a reason to not like the cast that we so adore and love so much, it kind of feels like somewhat of a betrayal. And and the boys in the bar actually did a pretty good job of of navigating that by making them sort of not not excusing their homophobia, but kind of giving them a, sort of an out clause and making them really the buffoons and and the butt of the jokes. This one sort of treaded a little bit too close to that line where it's like, guys, guys, just, you know, you, you see where they're going and how this is going to end up. And it's just, you, you see, once the greed takes over, and I do think they, the, the writer finds a good way of, like, injecting humor into some of those bits, especially Carla's over-the-top reaction of wanting to kill everyone who stands in her way of getting money, <laughs> I think is progressively funnier, actually, um, the, the more it goes on. But it's also, gosh, like even like as much as like you see like that from the barflies, you kind of expect better from Sam and Diane as the leads. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the final scene, when you see how corrupted they can be so easily, and, and Diane is at least able to catch it. Right. I mean, I, th- I think it's important because you want to see that they're not above reproach. That it doesn't matter how virtuous your intentions are, everyone is susceptible to this type of thing. But it's still the kind of thing. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. It- I almost want to say it makes them more human. Yeah, well, it certainly it, does. it really shows that they're they're just like everybody else. They're they are not better than anybody. <laughs> I mean, Diane knows that coming into this bar that she's sinking to their level. But you know, we always kind of hold them in such a high regard because they've got the funny quips, they've got the you know good friends. Sam's got the good girls. You know, we hold them up to this pedestal of greatness. But they're regular schmoes like everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know. They're in the situation where they're in a bar, they've been drinking, they've been having a good time, and now they've got this chance to get money, and the money was theirs, and how are they going to split it up? And greed, greed, greed. Yeah, it, it's realistic. It's its own Greek play, yeah. but it's, it is interesting to see that, you know, especially while everybody else is being very greedy, you see Sam over on the side and Diane over the side just kind of watching them just like these fools. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, they, it verges on, like, morality play territory. Yeah. And I wouldn't have a problem with that, again, because I think it's done in isolation. This was not the standard for the show. So you can do one of these, like, every once in a while, and I, I don't think it ruins anything. Um, but eh, maybe if the, the, the joke-to-drama ratio were a little bit closer than, I don't know. But I, that is not to say that there aren't some good lines in there, because there is. Um uh, getting into a few of the, the technical things, the episode written by Nick Arnold. This is the only episode of Cheers that he wrote, according to IMDb. Uh, he also worked on shows at the time like Private Benjamin, Fathers and Sons. He wrote Welcome Back, Cotter. He was actually a writer for The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson for a long time. Hmm. Um, and then uh, the guest cast, Malcolm Kramer, the sort of signature character who comes in for the first time, is played by George Gaines. Uh, he's done a ton of TV work. But probably best known for the Police Academy movies, where he played Commandant Lassard. Um, although I also found out that he did appear in the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. 
Oh yeah. yeah so was- I I also put down on my notes for that one that he was also the father on Punky Brewster. For oh, yeah, those of yeah, us that yeah. remember that show from the eighties. Right, right, yeah. He was on that. Um and he's just got like a great affable quality on him. You, I yes. love his voice. Um, I can just I I wish he was in more projects that I liked and that I wanted to watch because he just has a quality that. <laughs> wait, I would wait like what, to- what what's the problem with uh, the police academy movies? I mean, Steven Gutenberg, man, come on. <laughs> I, I did enjoy that. Actually, I think I had Police Academy 2 for a long time on like VHS, and I watched that quite a bit. Um, yeah, no, that's a, and I also think the Fantastic Four movie, the Roger Corman Fantastic yep. Four movie, is better than its reputation. Which is not to say it's good, but it's just well, better than its well, reputation. Well, well, let's hang on a second there. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting artifact, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Then we have a number, some of the regular barflies, Alan, Tom, Greg, these guys have been on the show before. Uh, like, uh, Greg and Alan are tertiary barflies who show up intermittently from the first season all the way through the end. Um, Tom, this is his third appearance on the show. I think this is the second one that mentions he's a lawyer or has a law background. Um, he's not quite a lawyer. <laughs> he's not, he, he says, I work for the law firm of Sing and Fleckman or whatever. And then they have not to a pull lie. Him. Not a lie. Right. They have to pull him out of it later that he hasn't passed the bar. I do like him. I, I like the tertiary characters in this one. And Malcolm, I mean, George Gaines is Malcolm. He does sell the role. You can see he's likable. You can see he's just very friendly. And, and everybody just enjoys being around them. He hits it off right away with these people in this bar. Mm. If he was living in Boston more, I, I'm sure he would have been one of the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are two other uh, actors who get li- who get lines in the credits. Um, they're both credited as female customer, female customer one, female <laughs> customer two. One of them uh, is in the the beginning of Act One when Sam is doing a trick with matches, which we can talk about in a minute. But she's sitting in the bar, and then the other one has to get her coat back from Cliff when he comes back from his his mail route, and we'll talk about that one. Both of these actresses appear in multiple episodes of Cheers, but they're always playing unnamed guest or, or customer roles or something like that. Um, but they're both on, on more than one episode. I mean, I guess since they're never named, you could potentially say they were playing the same character. Sure. They come to this bar a lot. Getting into the, sort of the the order of it, I, I do want to talk about the teaser because yes. I found something really interesting about the way the show opens and how it's set up. Yes, First of all, I did too. Okay, I, I think I think we're on the same page. It does not begin with the voiceover "Cheers" is filmed before a live studio audience. That's one of the things. Instead, we get this ADR from Cliff uh, saying basically that his. The office has called them in to, you know, help with their holiday deluge or something. It says, and then so he's so, got. So, so to put to put a point on that really quickly, that means that the post office knows to call Cliff at Cheers. <laughs> let's That's let's let's point. remember that. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> they they didn't call him at home. They called him at Cheers. They him at Cheers. <laughs> uh, would you? Would you call somebody who you know is at a bar and assume that they're going to get in a mail truck and drive around? That's they couldn't do that. Yes, they could because it's Cliff. Uh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, we'll see later on the season that he has quite a reputation for the name Clavin is synonymous with something. 
so yeah, so you get that. That is also the the confirmation that this is this becomes the holiday episode because he mentioned the holiday episode. So this in this episode, as I mentioned, uh, this one debuted December twenty second. So this is kind of our Christmas episode. Did you also mention too that the outside shot, instead of just like a night shot or or the the street during the day, it's a very snowy shot. Yes, and there are more than one. There are a couple of transition shots like that that show street views of of Boston in what looks like pretty heavy snowfall during the winter. I mean, that means I, I don't know if like the main unit crew did that, but they would have had to send some film crew from the Boston area to take those to to shoot that B roll or whatever, and then send it to the studio when they were editing it so that was actually like fairly impressive that they got that yeah but uh, be, again because of that like so then once we actually begin cliff is just kind of walking across the bar without any dialogue and he explains he's got to go and we just see this coat rack that is just buried there's like 30 coats on this thing and he can't find his coat so he's asking everybody to to get up and pick their coat so he can get his to his mail jacket because Sam, it's a mail because it's a mail emergency. <laughs> mail a postal emergency, right? Yeah. Sam sends Carla and Carla like some sort of like like woodland creature just dives under these coats and just kinda like shimmies up this thing and comes out and comes out with what is obviously not Cliff's coat. It's a red lady's fur coat or something like that. And he's like, This is not my coat. She's like, just wear it. <laughs> he's fine. Just put it on or I'll rip off all of your clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, rip off what you're wearing. He puts it on, and of course he's got like the nice little button where kind of like he almost like sniffs it. He's like, eh, at least the dogs won't attack one of their own. Yeah, but the thing is that little teaser, what we see there with Cliff like leaving in this woman's jacket, because it comes back later on. He he does yep. come back later in the episode wearing that same jacket, and a woman is all upset that she's been waiting for him to return <laughs> so that she could get her jacket back. Whenever that happens, I wonder if the episode ran long. And they needed basically to chop the first part of a show in order to make that teaser. Um, I don't know for certain that if that's the case because I mean it does have a pretty good punchline with Cliff leaving, and we we mm-hmm. like where it starts. We get like a nice little like fade in tracking shot from the doorway by James Burroughs. So I don't know for sure that that was the the case in this one, but it just it seemed like they were. The fact that they actually use a teaser that connects to the episode later on was sort of a rare thing. Not unheard of, but rare. Yeah. It, it really bottles the entire episode into – this is the course of three hours, mm-hmm. let's say, three hours in the bar. And, and that helps just to cement it. It's like this is all – this all happens just within this short time span of this one night at Cheers. Right. Night at Cheers. But the other thing, like going back to what I was saying before we started talking about this episode, the fact that there's some discrepancy in the order of these episodes' release. Like mm-hmm. if if this other episode called Snow Job where Sam is going to a ski lodge in Stowe, Vermont, if that was originally supposed to come before this episode, then this episode would not have been able to air before Christmas. So maybe because they switched it and because like like they whatever if they flopped the 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 order of the things around and they dropped this one on December 22nd as opposed to it's you know maybe sometime in January or something maybe then they needed to add Cliff's dialogue later over that opening cue of him explaining why he has to go to the office or something or why he has to leave in that jacket so soon I don't know uh, maybe I don't know I 
we need to get we need to get the uh, the showrunners on here and ask them some very poignant questions sometime. <laughs> Good point. I need to well, again. I don't know if <laughs> wait. The, the, you you don't have the budget for West Wing Weekly, so I, I apologize. <laughs> Gosh, how do they keep getting Aaron Sorkin and and Martin Sheen and Bradley Whitford on that show? It's almost because like they know they, those guys. <laughs> yeah, they're best friends with them. <laughs> God, I love that show. It's almost All right, like sorry. Joshua Molina went to college with these people. <laughs> he's like, like Joshua Molina. Yeah, it's like he's he's like you know smoked dope with Aaron Sorkin or something. I don't know. Yeah. I like that show too. Actually, I, I I stopped listening to it once they got into the fifth season of West Wing because that's when I that's when I don't have as much interest in the show. But you should still keep up with it. There, there's a lot of stuff that they picked up and just. It's really interesting, especially when you get on a lot of uh, other guests. But mm-hmm. oh, we're talking about stuff that you're just going to cut anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. The, the listeners can bear with us. <laughs> um, hey, check out that show too. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some of the match tricks, if you don't mind. Yes, absolutely. That's where I was going because that's how the first act opens up. Yeah, Sam's match yeah. tricks. Tell me about them. So we've got four of them here. We've got four match tricks that, that are done. We've got two by Sam, one by Carla, and one by Coach. Or Carla starts one. <laughs> so the first one, of course, is Sam. He's he's hitting on a girl at the bar. And he goes, oh, watch this. And, you know, takes out a match. And so the match is lit. And with his hands, he puts his hand over the match and puts it out. And the line is something like, wow, doesn't that hurt? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that without burning your hand? He's like, I don't. And I don't. he, like, shoves his hand into, like, a glass of water. <laughs> I remember being at, I remember uh, my misspent uh, 20s at this one bar called All the Mirrors in Portland, Oregon, and the bartender was fantastic. His name was Sammy, and he would do these, you know, the Spanish coffees and have it all flame and everything, and sometimes he would miss. And I'd look over, like, your hand's on fire. He goes, like, yeah, I know, and just casually, like, you know, run it under the sink that was under the bar. <laughs> it's just like, ah, he's done that before. <laughs> yeah. You it know, happens. I, you know, I, I know from personal experience. If you drum, if you drumming a lot of alcohol on your hand, you can set it on fire without noticing that you actually have your hand on fire for a little while. But yeah, so we got that one. Then he does another one where he's got the lit match. He puts it in his mouth and flips it over into onto his tongue and puts it out. And everyone's like, "Wow, that's fantastic!" And I think it's around this point in time that, or no, it's before that one that Diane says, uh, "Have you ever seen the trick with the disappearing girlfriend?" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then Carla is like holding up a match. She goes, oh, yeah, how do you do that? And Sam mentions, well, you have to imagine something that brings you happiness. Well, right now, burning my hand brings me happiness. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was almost one of my home runs for this one. He's like, imagine the most pleasant thing in your life. He's like, being burned by this yes. match would be the most pleasant thing yeah. in my life. And she just kind of gives up. And then the last one is Coach, where Coach is like, ah, check this out. And you know, he's got a lit match, and he puts it out with his fingers. And I think it's uh, Tom who says... You must have a real high threshold for pain. I don't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> what, pain? No. And then our, uh, Norm comes in. No, threshold. He doesn't know the meaning of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty tough. No, he doesn't know the meaning of the word threshold. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Coach thanks him for, like, acknowledging Yeah, th- yeah they're, it's kind of like an ADR almost like, thanks, Norm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the whole point of the, that setup with the matrix is when later on Sam appears to burn the will in yes. front of like the whole crowd and everything and like like disposes it in like a, a pitcher or something and, and and uh coach makes a big deal about that. He's like, let that all be a lesson to you and they're like, Oh, you mean like the dangers of greed for money? He's like, No, always dispose of your flammables in an appropriate way or something <laughs> like that. But that whole thing was that he because of Sam's like sleight of hand tricks, which mm-hmm. I wonder if he picked those up from Harry the Hat or somebody, but oh, just because he was able to there's do There's no question about yeah. about that at all. Yeah, he was able to pocket the 
the real authentic will probably and burn the the original one that that Tom told them was bogus because right. it wasn't notarized or witnessed or anything. So. And then then at the end we also have you know Sam burning the final one at the very end as well. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a there's a definite thing about fire there too. Right. We could also make the comment too that you know greed is fire or something like that, but that seems really deep for this crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, could be. The other thing I noticed at the very beginning, too, is that I did notice my first watch through this Diane's haircut. (laughs) I noticed that. And then later on, it's the punchline of a joke. And I was like, oh, I fell for it. (laughs) Yeah, it comes really late. It's right before the final scene, like when everybody's like, they're resigned because now they think they're not getting any money. And she's like, well, you know, this is the way it should have been. And then she goes in to see Sam and she's like, by the way. With all the craziness going on with her, none of you have mentioned my hair, my new haircut. And the three guests, like, sort of tertiary guys, Alan, Tom, and, and the other guy, they all just kind of look at her and like, it stinks. Stinks. <laughs> there were... Which, uh, fair enough, but it's not good. <laughs> those same guys were earlier in the episode asking her to get naked and dance for them. So yeah, like, they, they have, their, their opinion is very low, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I like seeing more of those guys that like when the tertiary guys get something to do. But there was a, yeah. there were a few times in this episode when it was kind of grating. I mean, definitely that yeah. one when she is you know extolling their virtues for how well they they treated Malcolm before they knew that there was any money involved. And she's like, "I would do anything for you, people." And they're like, "Hot dang, drop your skivvies!" <laughs> yeah, that was like, "Whoa, that's over the line." It's right. like you know, just kind of almost yeah, especially yeah, Sam, Sam their bartender. Right their that's shoulder. that's her girl. Yeah, yeah. no, that that's completely uncalled for that 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 joke landed really flat yeah and of course also the fact that sam Sam kind of is laughing with them like thinking that oh diane this is just the stuff the crap that you have to pick up put up with like what what were you expecting from this crowd when really i mean like And and i think i think that the writers i think the writers were going for a different joke there Mm -hmm. but that one didn't work it's like that that one just especially it it doesn't age well either sure so yeah, yeah Once uh, Diane, oh the oh the other thing is when Diane like sees Malcolm and and he's like you know I've just had the worst day of my life. She makes this analogy about a Chinese food restaurant or something. So, I she, didn't get that one. It, that's another one that just like yeah yeah. She's, I, like, I, I, she's like life is like a Chinese restaurant or something between the Peking duck and the sweet and sour fish. You have to expect so and like I don't even remember like the, the third entree that she and, made. and the, the the audience the audience kind of was like. <laughs> Yeah, and and I was wondering if it was supposed to be a bad joke because she's like, you know, laugh. She's encouraging him to laugh, and that's when he tells her he's got six months to live. And she sits down and she's like, how stupid. And of course, it's because it's Diane. She starts talking about how foolish she was and putting it all on her. Can I get you a drink, dear? Yeah, Yeah, he's he's got a great. Can I get you something? Obviously, you need it. But it play it plays up when she tells Sam that you know this guy has six months to live, and he's like, "Oh, come on, are you sure he's not just doing that as a line, as a pickup line?" She's like, "What kind of animal would use that as a sexual overture?" And Sam's look of sort of guilt is like, "Well, no, nobody, not, nobody, not me, nobody, not me." And he does that twice in this episode too. <laughs> yeah, the second time it makes a better. Right? Yeah, but what is it? What does he say the second time? Where, oh, it's, yeah. I, think, he's like, I, I heard him say that he was rich, but I didn't realize he was that rich. She's like, oh, who would say that just to get a girl or something? He's like, what? Not me. No, <laughs> nobody. Like, nobody would do that. No sick. Not me. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but Sam does have a, a really good line that I like. He's like, when she's like, can you cheer him up? He's like, I'll, I'll do it. And she's like, how do you cheer up somebody who only has six months to live? He's like, I'll tell him I have five. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. He's got he's got that one. He's got that one, and then he follows it up with, you know, he's asking Malcolm about, you know. Have you seen, you know, gotten a second opinion? I've seen all the doctors. Well, if you've seen all the doctors, maybe you should go see a quack. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and that's, it's a good joke. And it's, and it's just perfect for Malcolm too, because he starts chuckling and that's when he, you know, kind of right. looks over and sees the bar humming, mm-hmm. which is another thing about the, the entire gags with the match tricks. That's another thing that's just, it's a every night at the bar. Mm-hmm. Here's something stupid they're doing tonight at the bar mm-hmm. and everyone's getting a kick out of it. And that, that's the kind of stuff that I do like. It's just the background noise and goofiness and wackiness of the bar yeah i do too and and you you mentioned that earlier too it's kind of like just like a, a night in the life of cheers yeah that in a like this was definitely something that they could do in earlier on like in the early seasons they had a lot of this and actually the season one had like a string of these this this almost mm-hmm. feels like it could have been a, a season one episode in that way um but they do kind of like, continue yeah. to do this but like later on like once the show once the cast got a little bit bigger and everybody needed their subplots they didn't really have time to really have an episode where a guest could come in and sort of take over the story for a while but yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about that too. Like that is kind of like working with, but something else. It is a happening night. It's a crowded night. There are at yeah. least forty people there, and we know that because Malcolm leaves them a will for a hundred thousand dollars, and Norm does like the math when he's like, like he make, ends up making a joke about his accounting fee, but he says, you know, everybody would get twenty five hundred dollars if they split it all evenly. I was like, okay, so right. at least forty people in the bar. For most of the episode, Diane is sitting at the bar reading a book and just kind of watching yeah. everything going along. It's like, why isn't she waiting tables? Like, this is another the one. The only time that she actually, the only time she actually got up and like went to, to take an order, it was to Malcolm, and she never even got his order. <laughs> she, Sam brought it over. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like God. I mean, they make they make a joke about her being a terrible waitress, but it's like there is documented evidence of that. She's just, I, I mean, I guess. Now, I, I mean, I, they never replace her as a waitress. Once she leaves, they never get a second waitress on the show. Really, is so. I guess they just they don't need to. They don't need to. <laughs> she she wasn't really helping. So Malcolm leaves the will. And they're trying to figure it out. And by this point in time, oh no, actually before Malcolm leaves, Nor- or Cliff comes back into the bar with a purloined co- coat. <laughs> yeah. um, and so he comes back in the bar and we have a great line from uh, Norm here because uh, they're trying to you know, tell Cliff what's going on. And Norm says, well, no, 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 no. You see, you know, you have to be nice to him because Doc says he's going to belly up in a year. <laughs> <laughs> right in front of him. Right in front of the guy. Yeah. Yeah, and then like Cliff's like, oh, but, I'm sorry so, like, to hear that. And like Malcolm just shakes up. He's like, yeah, yeah that's the breaks. Yeah. I mean, at that point, he's, he kind of resigned yeah. himself to it. So so he leaves, and they find the will. And it's on a piece of, like, it's on a napkin, and it's, uh, you know, $100,000. The first thing that happens is we have Coach take this and take it to who he thinks is the smartest person <laughs> in the bar, yes. Cliff. <laughs> He's like, what's this say? And and of Cliff, and and you send me the message <laughs> because you had it. Cliff is reading it like, or no, no, that's that comes later. That's the second one. That's the second yeah. one. Yeah, but, but he's like, I, I think there is some precedent for this in Panoya versus Net for something like that. Yes, when they found and that jurisprudence what? is the better part of diction. 
<laughs> and it cut away to Diane just shaking her head like, why am I here? <laughs> now, here's the funny thing is Pinoya versus Neff is a real court case. <laughs> okay. I, I looked it up because I'm that kind of a nerd. Okay. Bless Pinoya you. versus Neff. It's an 1878 case, which was decided by the Supreme Court, in which the court held that a court can exert personal jurisdiction over a party if that party is served with process while physically present within the state. I am no wiser than I was before you started explaining that. Nope, not me either. That's about as far as I got. Okay, but but he was he actually the the fact that he just pulled that out of thin air because it's Cliff, (laughs) of course, (laughs) and he knew it had to do with personal jurisdiction. So, (laughs) and of course, and and, yeah, and and confuse that with the word jurisprudence. Of course, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. Well, so so anyway, so there's that little bit of Cliff's uh, legalese. Um, but later, when Tom – like after they've sent Coach to go get Malcolm, Tom goes back. He rewrites the will, drafts it in appropriate language or something, brings it out to show them. It's like all we need is the actual signature and the witnesses, and then this thing will be legally binding. And Cliff takes away – And this right, is where right, they – yeah. He's like, well, you misspelled Massachusetts for one thing. What? Now I've got this down here. He says, prima facies non corpus interruptus. <laughs> Once again, I went ahead and, uh, you know, paused the show, looked it up. As near as I can go with, you know, my no schooling of Latin, it's kind of like uh, on the face of it, mm-hmm. this is true, but there is no body, so <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> so it kind of is, r- runs out to like, you know, this looks to be all true, but the dude ain't here, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's what Cliff says in Latin, more or less. <laughs> Which... Is so close. He is right. Yeah, it's kind of like that's not. He is completely right. out out of left field. Yeah, he's he like picks it up, looks at it, and basically says, "Yeah, this doesn't mean anything because the guy's not here to sign it." So, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's just you know, it's fantastic. Cliff just nailed that one because <laughs> the entire bar, and that's where they start getting into. Well, what kind of a lawyer are you? Well, not technically a lawyer. And this is where you get back into Carla, throw, you know, rip up his clothes and throw him out in the snow. Cliff comes over and grabs Tom by the ear and starts pulling him out of the bar. Yeah, they're really ready. And then that will be a thing like throughout the show is like Cliff, Cliff, like smells blood in the water. Like Cliff, who is frequently the low end of the totem pole for a, a good chunk of this show's life. He at least knows that he is above Tom and he'll ridicule Tom on the show a lot. So. He will always find one of the barflies like, oh, here's the guy I can pick on, so I'm not the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So when they get Malcolm back and they're each trying to – like, remember that time that we walked over by the pool table together and, like, just all, yeah. doing all their pitches and Carla shows him her kids, her five kids. She's like, posing for and this you- picture is the longest they've ever stood together without crutches. And and the ongoing joke of how ugly her kids are, Malcolm <laughs> looks like he's very disgusted looking at the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and, and and Norm's like, oh, Mervin. He's like, my name is Malcolm. He's like, can I call you Mervin? That was my father's <laughs> name. So, uh, I mean, uh, we're, yeah, they, they uh, 
we're laughing about it because it's still it's a it's an enjoyable episode and there's a lot of good in this yeah. one. It's just like it it's still once you get down to like the last scene with Sam and Diane, I'm just like I'm frustrated with these people and also by the end of it when when he realizes that, you know, she's sort of a guilting him that he would he would feel terrible if he kept this money from everybody and if he hid yeah. it from her and he can't live with that, so he burns it. I'm like there were, it, he, it's it, he was he was close to he was close to just keeping it for himself. He like tricked her, mm-hmm. and like you know he's like he realized he's like I I'm I'm starting to sound as bad as all of them. You know, forget it. You know, I burned it up. You know, it's over. And Diane's leaving. You wouldn't do the same trick to me again. No, no, of course I wouldn't. Okay, because I know you wouldn't. <laughs> and then she leaves, and I hate her. <laughs> I really hate her. I really hate her as he's burning up as he's burning up the will. And again, what what frustrates me is what we were talking about before is that they're not superior. They're not better than that. Like no. he had to destroy it because it would have destroyed him. When I'm just like you could have played it safe. You could have just divided it so that everybody got a thousand or two thousand dollars, twenty five hundred or whatever. You could have said, It's my bar, I'm putting half of it into the bar to like, you know, hire a new waitress. Right. Give everybody like better health care, <laughs> dental plan or something like that, you know. Refer like, pay, fix pay off everything yeah. pay off everything in the bar, lower all the cost for Three years, yeah, you know. Yeah. He's, like, he's a small business owner. He could have done a lot with that besides buying himself a yacht. And it's just like, and you also could have placated everybody else by giving them something as like a Christmas treat for being at the bar and you would have been a hero. But it's like, it just, you could have done so many things to just play the safe and everybody would have worked out. But then, but that is the problem. It's, it's the. It, it, that's not that's not really in their character. We want it to be in their character, but it's not going to be because. They're not that good of people. I mean, they're not. You know, it's always sunny. It's always sunny in Philadelphia type people, <laughs> but they're not. You know, they're not West Wing people. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good episode up until you just start seeing the greed come out, and then it's like, ooh, okay, I see what they're saying here. I see what they're doing here, and you know what? I still like the show, and I still like the episode because they took the risk on going there and doing this. They still got some good laughs out of it. They just showed another facet of the, these people and reminded us that they aren't your heroes. They're just a bunch of guys that like to go to a bar and drink. Right, right. Yeah, it um, it reminds me of another Latin phrase, actually, uh, radix malorum est cupiditas, which means avarice or greed is the root of all evil. Um, and I only know the Latin because I used to have to teach a story from the the Canterbury Tales that had that as the central theme. Ah. Yeah, See, I always go with I always go with post hoc ergo proctor hoc. <laughs> Once again, I go go West Wing. <laughs> After therefore because of it, uh, what were yep. some of the other Latin ones? Posse comitatus. Posse comitatus. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going back to the West Wing, so I'm trying to think if there are any other things that we have to talk about this episode. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to ask is <laughs> when they send somebody out to go find Malcolm, they're like they're trying to find the most honest person in the bar. And there's you know a couple of jokes there where like Cliff says he's going to go, and I was like, yeah, no, forget it. Um, but they choose Coach. Yeah, Coach is the most honest person in the bar, but really, <laughs> <laughs> probably the last person you want to send on a mission to retrieve somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be leaving soon? I'm I, I'm surprised he didn't get lost. <laughs> well, he even makes a joke, and he almost it. did. Yeah, he's like, I had to bury. I had what to took you so long? He's like, he I had, had to get my car out of there. Unbury his car from all the snow and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, car, well, yeah. Why don't you just take a taxi? He's like, well, the hotel yeah. was just a block away. <laughs> yeah, it's like why? 
Coach did have the other thing, too, where he says that they should get an old guy in the bar. <laughs> it's like, you know, the customers would really like something like that. What about you, Coach? Like, oh, I'd like it, too. I'd like it, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, for Norm's tab, um, I actually counted him as only having two for this episode because he's just up and moving around a whole lot. He's not sitting mm-hmm. at his seat. In fact, at the end of it, he's kind of in the middle of the bar, and some of the other guys are, are by his seat. But in the very first like time we see him, in the first act, and this is, again, I'm like, I'm not sure if there was more to this episode and some of it was cut for time. The first time we see him, he has like a whole pitcher in front of him. It's well, not just one glass of beer. He's got a whole pitcher. And they never explain. It probably is, you know, cheaper that way. <laughs> it probably is. But they never. And then the next time, like later on, like a few minutes later, like it's when they cut to, you know, after Malcolm has been there for a couple of hours or whatever, like doing something. It goes back to Norm. He's just got a glass in front of him there. But at the beginning, it's like, why does he have a whole pitcher in front of him that he's like nursing? He's got both hands on it, and they never explain that. So I'm wondering if there was more to it that was just kind of cut. Maybe there was supposed to be something in the beginning because. When we cut and we actually start the episode, Cliff is walking towards the door away from what would have been his seat. Maybe he was supposed to have some scene where he was sitting with with uh, Norm or something. I don't know. But, yeah, probably. Yeah. For those two beers, Norm is up to 161 for the series so far. Huzzah! <laughs> for uh, the uh, the superlative categories, who is your employee of the week? Who do you think was the standout? And it could be a guest if you wanted it to. It would be really easy to go guest. I think he did a fantastic job. Um, I, I he really sold his scenes, but I had to go with Cliff. Mm-hmm. I, I just I loved some of his lines. I loved some of his delivery. He actually knows his stuff. <laughs> it's just really hidden behind you know the layer of crap that he actually has. Yeah, I I actually thought about it. This was a weird one where I didn't have. Sam or Diane as like leading contenders and maybe it was just because I was so annoyed with them at the end right. but I actually had it between Cliff and Carla I'm actually going to lean towards Carla just because you picked Cliff for, for all the same reasons I'm going to go with Carla because her quickness to violence and like overreacting to people and everything like could have gotten grating or, or like been like ridiculous but it to me it never felt that way up to including like the end like when diane is saying you know you should give it to charity or give it to your family or something diane carla's just like let's kill her <laughs> like that and then when it appears that sam has burned the the will or whatever and walks off and everybody's just sitting there in their silence like God, we were so close, but we screwed it up. And Carla just looks at Diane. She's just glaring. She's like, we should have killed her when we had the chance. <laughs> it's like, oh and I, I think the reason why you don't mind this this heel turn on Carla, where we see the heel turn on everybody else, including Sam and Diane, mm-hmm. we expect it from Carla. Yeah, we do. Carla, we expect her to have this berserker rage underneath, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course she wants to, you know, tar and feather somebody i mean it's carla <laughs> of course uh what were your uh, what were your home runs or what was your home run your uh, your highlight of the episode i really like the one line i i was going back and forth on it but i think i've got to go back to the one line where he says prima facious non-corpus interruptus i it just that entire scene where he's looking at the page and he's giving it his expert opinion and he says that and then once i really found out what it meant i'm like that's funny i just (laughs) it it, it was a late hit for me but it just it it really sold it for me i I think the second one i would have had would probably have been the final cap where sam's saying i really hate her i really hate her and he's just guilt but 
I gotta go with I gotta go with the Cliffs. Yeah, um, I, I had again another a Carla moment when she said when she's asking how do you do this trick? And he's like the match trick. He's like you just imagine you just think about the most pleasant thing in your life, and she's just kind of looking at a fire. She's like being burned by this match would be the most pleasant thing in my life. <laughs> I, I like that. And then there's another moment. It's actually not a comedic beat. But I just really liked the moment when they tell is like you know Mr. Uh, Kramer, I'm sorry to do this, but you told me that when it, to tell you when it was eleven o'clock, so he's got to go. He's like in this rush, and Sam is like you know thanks for stopping by. Come back before, and he has to like cut uh-huh. himself off. And Diane, corrects, Diane jumps in. She's like soon, come back yeah. soon because they they don't want to say come back before you die. Um, yeah. I just I like that little moment. Like Sam like stops himself because it's like, oh shoot, what did I almost say? Um it was just it was a nice little moment. Not played for laughs or anything like the opposite of that. Um but I just kinda liked that. So And and I think that touches on that at the beginning, you know, where at the end we were dealing with all this greed and, and, and hostility. During the beginning there was some really good, gracious touches from everybody. I mean mm-hmm. You know, Diane sitting down and Sam sitting down and even the guys at the bar, they're having a good time with the guy and and just having him as one of the guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, there was another moment with with Carla that I really liked. You, you remind me when um, when uh, uh, Malcolm, when he's doing all when he's behind the bar and he's doing all that stuff for them. And they're like somebody Carla's like somebody needs to wash these dishes. and He's like, I'll do it. She's like, you want to wash yeah. the glasses? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I feel like an 18. 18- year old boy or something like that i've got all this energy or he's like i feel like a, a teenager or a teenage boy or something and carlo's like me too do you know any <laughs> and, and he points at himself yeah <laughs> oh yeah so yeah i mean I, I have a feeling i have a feeling that when i rank all of the episodes for the season this one is going to be sort of near the bottom just because it's mm-hmm. a little bit uneven, and it just kind of—it's not an episode that I want to necessarily revisit, just because it's I'm like, ah, oh, you guys, you idiots, you're you're stopping yourself. But it's still a very good episode. Again, the worst episode of Cheers is better than like ninety percent of most of the TV I've ever seen. Um, and it's yeah. still there as we've gone through. There's still a lot of funny in this one. Um, there's some really good heartfelt moments. So, yeah, I, I still like this one. So, thank you very much for coming on this show. Yeah, I, I, not a problem. And, and once again, I am very happy that my gift to you is ranking the shows. <laughs> oh, God, that was your idea. Damn it. <laughs> that was my idea. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Sorry? Not <laughs> You're sorry. Not. You're not sorry. No, not at all. I like doing it. I, I I stole the idea from a few other podcasts. I like doing it with our with uh, our books that we rank. Mm-hmm. and. It just—it's kind of fun to revisit them and to think about where they fit, especially talking with my co-host. Is just you know, how does this fit with something else? Where does it rank at? And, and it helps put it in your mind of like you know, what are some of the best ones? Especially when it comes you know, you come back and like I, I want to really suggest what the best ones are. And according to my list, this is what I've got. Mm-hmm. But All anytime, right. I'll come on anytime. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, where else can people find you in the meantime? Well, me and my burnt match of a co-host, Jeff, uh, we do a bi-weekly self-produced podcast in Portland, Oregon called Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And you can find us on any podcatcher you want. You can find us on Twitter at Jeff Rick Present. And we have a Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, or our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com. 
All right. Thank you one more time, Mervin, for being on the show. Thank you, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Please support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter, or you can leave a comment on the website post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Fire and Water Podcast Network is now on Patreon. And special thanks to all of our patrons over there with an extra special shout-out to Mr. Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, who sponsors this show. For more information on how you can support the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. To whom it may concern, please be advised that herewith I amend my will to provide the following. As a token for their kindness, I leave the sum of $100,000 to the gang at Cheers, signed Malcolm Kramer. Is this a joke? Cliff, check that out. See if it's valid. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I don't want to uh, pronounce judgment too hastily, Coach, but, uh, well, yeah, I think there is precedent in the uh, case of uh, Pinoya versus Neth, uh, when it was found that uh, jurisprudence is the uh, better part of diction. Uh, you're a lawyer, are you? I work for the law firm of Singh and Fleckman. Take a look at this, will you? Tell me what it means. <clears throat> well, I presume his intent here was to have everybody at Cheers put up $100,000 when he died. That's I'll right. be darned. I heard him say he was rich, but I thought it was a line. Oh, Sam. Who would use a line like that? Not me. <laughs> 100 grand. Now, what does that come out to eat? Yeah, looks like approximately $2,500. Oh, wow. Minus my accounting fee, that's 100 bucks. <laughs> you each get 100 bucks? No, you split 100 bucks. <laughs>